This is Come Follow Me with David Ridges, brought to you by Cedar Fort Publishing and Media for the week of August 3rd through 9th, covering Alma chapters 42 through 52. David Ridges will be our teacher today. Welcome to this week's podcast of Alma chapter 43 to Alma 52. I'm David Ridges and I'm happy to welcome you to this discussion today. We are going into what is commonly referred to as the war chapters in the Book of Mormon. Over the years of teaching, I've had a number of people ask me and almost suggest uh, that somehow the war chapters ought to be consolidated maybe into just one or two chapters because as they read chapter after chapter after chapter from Alma 43 all the way to chapter 62, they think, goodness, I'm not getting much out of this. Why can't we just uh, put them all together and uh, cut down on the time spent well? Uh, We know and have testimonies of the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon, And so it becomes very obvious, at least to me, that Mormon must have had very good reasons to include all of these chapters about the wars between the Lamanites and the Nephites for our day. And if you stop to look at it, you realize that we are in a situation very similar to what the Nephites were in during these chapters of Alma. Therefore, we have to assume, and indeed, we will find a great many ways that these chapters are very relevant to us. There are lots of messages that fit our day. For instance, um, some of the questions that will be answered in these chapters are, under what conditions is it appropriate for a nation to go to war? We have lots of pacifists that don't think we ought to go to war at all. They don't even think we ought to prepare for war. Another question is, in times of relative peace, is it okay to produce and stockpile weapons in case of an attack? That question is definitely answered in the affirmative. What should be done about individuals of military age and capability who enjoy the freedoms of our country but refuse to go to war to defend those privileges? Another question that is answered in these chapters, how can military personnel who must kill in the line of duty keep from getting caught up in lusting for enemy blood and reveling in the slaughter? That's a very serious question. I had a friend once who came home from war very caught up in bloodlust, and it was very, very difficult to see. What should a commander-in-chief What should a commander-in-chief do about government leaders and groups who refuse to support the defense effort? Another question, is it ever proper to go after the leaders of enemy forces? as part of the defense strategy of a given nation. Another question, what if an enemy force surrenders 
but has no intention to sign and keep a peace treaty. These are very relevant issues, and they are answered in these war chapters, so-called. Also, how do people who want to serve the Lord and be righteous and live the gospel survive in such an environment of war and rumors of wars? Well, we will deal with these and many other issues as we go on through uh, these chapters. There are a, the, This is quite a large number of chapters to deal with in one podcast, so we'll kind of hurry around along and we'll kind of hurry along and then we will also slow down a bit. Uh, let's just get the basic background here. If you have your scriptures with you and would care to turn to Alma chapter 35, verse 13. I'll find it here in my scriptures too. In Alma chapter 35, verse 13, he said... And the people of Ammon departed out of the land of Jershon. Now remember, the land of Jershon was the land that the righteous Nephites gave to the people of Ammon who had been converted by the four sons of Mosiah and their missionary companions and had fled their land and come among the Nephites hoping that they would uh, forgive them of past atrocities that they had committed towards the Nephites and indeed <clears throat> give them a place to live. And these righteous Nephites did give them a place to live. They gave them the land of Jershon, and they've been living there ever since. But now, in verse 13, because of the war situation and the uh, wars that the Lamanites are bringing to the Nephites, it says this, verse 13, And the people of Ammon departed out of the land of Jershon that had been given to them by the righteous Nephites and came over into the land of Malik and gave place in the land of Jershon for the armies of the Nephites that they might contend with the armies of the Lamanites and the armies of the Zoramites and thus commenced a war betwixt the Lamanites and the Nephites in the 18th year of the reign of the judges. And here's the key verse for our situation. And an account shall be given of their wars hereafter. Well, from this point on, in this part of the Book of Mormon, um, we had Alma's wonderful counsel and words to his sons, and so on and so forth. And finally, in chapter 43 of Alma, they will pick back up where verse 13 just left off, saying we will pick up the account of the wars hereafter. So now I'm going to turn back to chapter 43. Um, in these war chapters, we're going to find several what we call types or types and shadows of Lucifer or the devil or of Satan. 
that means there are going to be some very wicked men leading the Lamanites against the Nephites who fall into the category of being types of Satan. What we will do first, if you're following along with me, we'll go to chapter 43, verse 5, and we'll go right to the uh, end of that verse. Let's read the whole thing. And it came to pass that the Lamanites came with their thousands, and they came into the land of Antionum, which is the land of the Zoramites. Now, remember, we've had a lot of trouble with the Zoramites. They're the ones that had the Ramiumptum prayer tower, the ones that startled Alma and his missionaries as they came in to try and reclaim them. They are apostate Nephites. And here they are, having joined with the Lamanites, as was feared by the Nephites, and they are being led now against the Nephite people by a man by the name of Zarahemna. At the end of verse 5, now Zarahemna is what I would call a type of Satan as we watch his uh, approach and his devices and dishonesty and bloodlust and everything. He becomes typical of Satan. And so Satan is, has him very much under his control. We can go to chapter 46, and the whole chapter uh, deals with a man named Malachiah, who is very definitely a type of Christ. So if you wanted to go into the heading of chapter 46 and get down to where it says, Amalekiah and the dissenters flee to the land of Nephi. Uh, verse 3 of chapter 46 also, Now the leader of the, those who were wroth against their brethren was a large and a strong man, and his name was Amalekiah. He is another type of Satan. In other words, one who uh, shows the characteristics of the devil. And Amalekiah, verse 4, was desirous to be a king. In other words, he wants power over people. That's what Satan wants. And those people who were wroth were also desirous that he should be their king. In other words, he's got quite a few who are going to join him in his fight against the Lord's people and the gospel and everything that's good. Now, in these, in these chapters, there will be many major messages for us. Uh, one major message is that Satan has many different individuals and groups and has many forces trying to take our religious liberties from us. Let's go to now to chapter 43 and look at verses 9 and 10. That's Alma chapter 43, verses 9 and 10. By the way, I will always try to give you the reference three times. In Alma 43, verse 9 and 10... We read, 
And now the design of the Nephites was to support their lands and their houses and their wives and their children, that they might preserve them from the hands of their enemies, and also that they might preserve their rights and their privileges, yea, and also their liberty, that they might worship God according to their desires. Verse 10 For they knew that if they should fall into the hands of the Lamanites, that whosoever should worship God in spirit and in truth, the true and living God, the Lamanites would destroy. So one of the major messages here for us is that righteous people have to stand up and defend their rights when it comes to people who want to take their rights away from them. Another major message you notice in our day and age, right now, in fact, we have all kinds of humanitarian efforts uh, mounted by the church to help the people who need help throughout the world. And uh, one of the good examples from these war years, and we've already mentioned it, is Alma chapter 43, verses 11 and 12. And it says, Yea, and they also knew the extreme hatred of the Lamanites toward their brethren, who were the people of Anti-Nephi-Lehi, who were called the people of Ammon. These are the people that the 2,000 stripling warriors will come from their sons. There'll be 60 more of them, in fact, that will join the group. So they were called the people of Ammon, and they would not take up arms. Yea, they had entered into a covenant that they would not break, and they would not break it. Therefore, if they should fall into the hands of the Lamanites, they would be destroyed. And the Nephites, verse 12, would not suffer that they should be destroyed. Therefore, they gave them lands for their inheritance. We today are being asked to donate generously to the fast offering funds and to the humanitarian funds of the church in order to help people who are less fortunate throughout the world, regardless of who they are. Now, one of my favorite parts of these war chapters is one of our great heroes, who is Captain Moroni. I have always thrilled to read and hear about Captain Moroni since I was a little boy. Let's look in Alma 43, 16 to 17. The Nephites have need of a great leader as they fight against the Lamanites. And so starting with 43, verse 16, We'll read about Moroni, Captain Moroni. Verse 16, Now the leader of the Nephites, or the man who had been appointed to be the chief captain over the Nephites, now the chief captain took the command of all the armies of the Nephites, and his name was Moroni. And by the way, his next verse will tell us how old he is. Verse 17, And Moroni took all the command and the government of their wars. And he was only twenty and five years old when he was appointed chief captain over the armies of the Nephites. 
What a young age and what a tremendous spirit he must have been from pre-mortal life. Now, one question that we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast was, is it okay for people, especially in times of peace, to build up defense weapons and means to defend themselves, even if there's not an active war going on. Well, Alma 43, 18-20, again, answers this question, but this time it's an active part of war. And it came to pass, verse 18, that he met the Lamanites on the borders of Jershon, and his people were armed with swords and with scimitars and all manner of weapons of war. That's enough to answer our question, is it okay to have weapons to defend ourselves? And when the armies of the Lamanites saw that the people of Nephi, or that Mormon had prepared his people, there's another answer to our question, when the war is not actively going on, it is okay to arm and prepare ourselves with the defense weapons that we need. Moroni had prepared his people with breastplates and with arm shields, yea, and also shields to defend their heads, and also they were dressed with thick clothing. Now the army of Zarahemna, who is the leader of the Lamanites here, was not prepared with any such thing. They had only their swords and their scimitars, their bows and their arrows, their stones and their slings, and they were naked, save it were a skin which was girded about their loins. Yea, all were naked, save it were the Zoramites and the Amalekites. By the way, the Zoramites and Amalekites are apostate Nephites. One of the messages here is that people, many people who apostatize from the church, uh, cannot just leave us alone and just go their way. Instead, one of the things the devil does to them is makes them bitter and full of hate towards us, and they come out and do everything they can to fight against the church and the kingdom of God on earth and everything that's righteous and desirable as far as the gospel is concerned. Now, another major message from this set of chapters Uh, comes in Alma chapter 50, verses 22 to 23. So if you would turn with me to Alma chapter 50, verses 22 to 23. This This is a wonderfully comforting chapter for all of us who are striving to be faithful in a time when the world is torn with wars and rumors of war. Verse 22 of Alma chapter 50. And those who were faithful in keeping the commandments of the Lord were delivered at all times, whilst thousands of their wicked brethren have been consigned to bondage or to perish by the sword or to dwindle in unbelief and mingle with the Lamanites. But behold... Here's the key phrase. But behold, verse 23, 
There never was a happier time. I love that. There never was a happier time among the people of Nephi since the days of Nephi than in the days of Moroni. Yea, even at this time in the twenty and first year of the reign of the judges. And this is a time, as you know, of tremendous warfare and conflict. It's a daily situation almost in their lives. So, is it possible to have happiness in our day when there are so many things going on, including the pandemic and there are wars and rumors of wars? We've, in our own state here, we've had earthquakes. There have been many, many things that could make people very uneasy and living in fear. But what's the Book of Mormon's message? There is never a happier time, and our own prophets have constantly emphasized that they are optimistic about the future. That, to me, is a major message that we ought to take to heart and make sure our own feelings and perspectives and outlooks, especially our examples to our loved ones and families, should be that of seeing the positive and living a happy life and figuring out how to do that if we need to. There's a little statement in Alma chapter 43 Verse 38, uh, there's a little, what I call a whoops, in the engraving of the plates here. It's found in Alma chapter 50, while we're in this area. Chapter, 30, chapter 50, verse 32, and notice this is an engraving error. Verse 32, now behold, the people who were in the land bountiful, or rather Moroni. Well, uh, if you're engraving gold plates, you don't have the luxury of hitting backspace and retyping. And this is one of those little whoopses in the engraving of the Book of Mormon that Mormon has to fix. And so he's going along engraving, now behold the people who were in land bountiful. Uh-oh, that's not what I meant. Or rather Moroni. Now to me this is a wonderful testimony that Joseph Smith was absolutely honest and that he was translating. If he were making these things up, as many people accuse him of, uh, he would never leave a mistake like that. He would just delete, just erase it or just cross it out in the manuscript and just say, Now behold, the people who were in the land of Moroni feared that they would hearken to the words of Morian. And so I kind of enjoy, out to the side of this, I have written the word whoops, an engraving error, and a testimony that the Book of Mormon is indeed true. Well, let's go on. Uh, one of the laws that we get from these chapters, which apply to us today, one of the laws is the law of self-defense. Many times we wonder, uh, in times of extreme war, 
and things, or even a battle that we're having of words with somebody. Uh, the law of self-defense, Alma chapter 43, verses 45 to 48. So I'm going to need to turn back to Alma chapter 43 now. And we're going to go to verses 45 to 48. It's a very important law that we need to be familiar with. Verse 45, Alma chapter 43, Nevertheless, the Nephites were inspired by a better cause, for they were not fighting for monarchy nor power, but they were fighting for their homes and their liberties, their wives and their children, and their all, yea, for their rights of worship and their church. And they were doing that which they felt was the duty which they owed to their God. For the Lord had said unto them, and also unto their fathers, now here's the law of self-defense, that inasmuch as ye are not guilty of the first offense, neither the second, ye shall not suffer yourselves to be slain by the hands of your enemies. <clears throat> and again, the Lord has said that, Ye shall defend your families even under bloodshed. That's a part of the law of self-defense that comes from God. Therefore, for this cause were the Nephites contending with the Lamanites to defend themselves and their families and their lands, their country and their rights and their religion. And it came to pass that when the men of Moroni saw the fierceness and the anger of the Lamanites, they were about to shrink and flee from them. And Moroni, perceiving their intent, sent forth and inspired their hearts with these thoughts, yea, the thoughts of their lands, their liberty, yea, their freedom from bondage. That's the law of self-defense, by the way. It is repeated in Doctrine and Covenants, section 98. Now, another major message that is very close to my heart is found in these chapters, and that is Moroni is merciful. If you'll turn with me to Alma chapter 43, verses 53 and 54, the last two verses of chapter 43, we see how merciful he is. There is a terrible battle being fought here, and the men of Zarahemna, who is a very evil leader, another type of Lucifer. Verse 53, Therefore, when Zarahemna, the leader of the Lamanites, saw the men of Lehi on the east, in other words, he sees that he's surrounded in this situation with the Nephite armies, he saw the men of Lehi on the east of the river of Sidon and the armies of Moroni on the west of the river Sidon, that they were encircled about by the Nephites. They were struck with terror. Now watch Moroni's response. Now Moroni, when he saw their terror, commanded his men that they should stop shedding their blood. A major message here. Moroni is merciful. He has the advantage here. He could have his men just chop them down and slaughter them, but he stops the shedding of blood. 
He is merciful. We will see in a little bit that when they do not properly take advantage of his offer, he is not a pushover. He is a very tough, no-nonsense general, and he will take action as needed. Let's let's go to chapter 44 and watch what happens. So remember, the Lamanite armies are surrounded, and so they have stopped. And in the first verses of chapter 44, we will see Moroni say at the end of verse 1, Behold, Zerahemna, that we do not desire to be men of blood. Ye know that ye are in our hands, yet we do not desire to slay you. And then he goes and says, We know you're mad at us because of our religion. That's verse 2. And then we go over to verse 8. And after Moroni has made him an offer, uh, let's go to verse 6 and look at that. And this is not all. I command you by all the desires which ye have for life. In other words, if you want to live, that ye deliver up your weapons of war unto us, and we will not. We will seek not your blood, but we will spare your lives if you'll go your way and come not again to war against us. And now, if you do not this, verse 7, Behold, you're in our hands, and I'll command my men that they shall fall upon you and inflict the wounds of death in your bodies, that ye may become extinct. Well, verse 8, Zerahemna, after he's heard this, he came forth and delivered up his sword and his scimitar and his bow into the hands of Moroni. That must have been a pretty intense scene there. And said unto him, Behold, here are our weapons of war. We will deliver them up unto you, but we will not suffer ourselves to take an oath unto you. Now, an oath among those people in ancient times, when you gave your word, you kept it. That was all there was to it. But he says, we will not suffer ourselves to take an oath unto you, which we know we'll break, and also our children. But go ahead and take our weapons of war and let us go. And verse 9, he's pretty insolent here. Behold, we are not of your faith. We do not believe that it is God that has delivered us into your hands, but we believe that it is your cunning that has preserved you from our swords. Behold, it is your breastplates and your shields that have preserved you. Well, we said a minute ago, Moroni's not a nonsense person at all. What does he do? In verse 10, Now when Zerahemna had made an end of speaking these words, Moroni returned the sword and the weapons of war, and at the end of verse 10 says, Behold, we will end the conflict. In other words, Moroni is tough, and he turns his men uh, loose on them again. And uh, they, the next verses, uh, verse 12, Zerahemna is scalped by one of Moroni's soldiers. Zerahemna in verse 13 is still alive, but the soldier who took his scalp uh, 
a soldier that was close by who smote off the scalp of Zerahimna, took up the scalp from off the ground by the hair and laid it upon the point of his sword and stretched it forth unto them, saying, and then he says, just as the scalp has fallen, so also Zerahimna and his men will fall. And uh, many were very word now and they surrendered in verse 15 and they made an oath and Moroni let them go and verse 16 Zerahimna is very mad and he tries to get the rest of his soldiers stirred up to keep fighting and verse 17 now Moroni was angry and I've underlined that in my scriptures and above it, I have put righteous anger. And that's a major message for us. There are times when there is such thing as righteous anger, and that's often called righteous indignation. And so Moroni gives his soldiers a command to fall upon them and slay them. And so they've got a terrible battle going on. And finally... Verse 19, Zerahimna sees that it's uh, futile to keep fighting. And now uh, Moroni, in verse 20, once more, he exercises mercy and stops the work of death and lets them go. That's something for you and I to incorporate it into our lives and that is to be merciful, especially in situations where we have every right to be angry at someone. It's a Christ-like attribute to, attribute to give them another chance. Well, uh, by way of understanding the Book of Mormon, uh, look at verse 24 in Alma 44. Thus ended the 18th reign of the judges over the people of Nephi and pay attention to this next phrase, next sentence and thus ended the record of Alma. This is the end of Alma's account. This is the end of his record written upon the plates of Nephi and Mormon who was giving us the uh, book of Mormon putting it together for us makes a note that this is the end of the record of Alma and Chapter 45 is the beginning of Helaman's account. Now, remember, Helaman is the oldest son of Alma and his wife. And we have Helaman's record, which Mormon will use from here to the end of the book of Alma. Now, um, remember Alma? This is Alma the Younger. Remember, he was rebellious. He fought against the church with the four sons of Mosiah. He was one that was doing all kinds of damage. He even says in his own words, I murdered many people. In other words, I murdered them spiritually and caused terrible, terrible damage. And he repented and he has been the president of the church now for many chapters. And let's go over to chapter 45 and uh, start with verse 18. After Alma has finished things up 
and turned things over to his son Helaman to uh, take over as the leader of the church and keeper of the records. Verse 18 of chapter 45, watch what happened to Alma and let it be a strong lesson to all of us that the atonement really does work completely and absolutely such that we can return very comfortably to the presence of God and on to exaltation. Chapter 45, verse 18. And when Alma had done this, he departed out of the land of Zarahemla as if to go into the land of Malik. And it came to pass that he was never heard of more. As to his death or burial, we know not of. That's Mormon talking. Behold, this we know, that he was a righteous man. And the saying went abroad in the church that he was taken up by the Spirit or buried by the hand of the Lord, even as Moses, by the way, that's what the brass plate said about Moses, and that was an incorrect statement on brass plates. The Old Testament has that, that Moses was buried by the hand of the Lord. But the scriptures that also were available said, and here in the Book of Mormon we have it corrected, the scripture saith, the Lord took Moses unto himself, and we know that Moses was taken up and as a translated being appeared to the Savior on the Mount of Transfiguration about six months before the Savior's crucifixion. So he was preserved and was taken up alive. He was resurrected by the time, by the way, at the time of the Savior's resurrection according to Doctrine and Covenants section 133 about 54 and 55. So let's go back to verse 19 now the last half. But behold the scriptures saith the Lord took Moses unto himself and we suppose that he has also received Alma in the spirit unto himself. Therefore for this cause we know nothing concerning his death and burial. So, Alma appears to have been taken right up to heaven. What a great blessing and what a beautiful lesson on the complete nature of the atonement of Christ to make us absolutely clean. Uh, again, a reminder that these chapters during these war years are of extreme value to us. One of our favorite parts of the Book of Mormon is the title of liberty. And Captain Moroni in chapter 46, verse 12 to 13, makes what we call the title of liberty. And uh, he rallies the troops, <clears throat> the Nephite troops, who are really getting worn out by this war. Uh, verse 12, and it came to pass that he rent his coat, he tore his coat, and he took a piece thereof and wrote upon it, in memory of our God, our religion and freedom and our peace, our wives and our children. And then he fastened it, in verse 13, on his head plate, 
and his breastplate, and, and he fastened on his headplate and his breastplate and his shields, and girded on his armor about his loins, and he took the pole, which he had on the end thereof, his rent coat, and he called it the title of liberty. You could mark that in verse 13 right in the middle, the title of liberty. And he bowed himself to the earth, and he prayed mightily unto his God for the blessings of liberty to rest upon his brethren, so long as there should a band of Christians remain to possess the land. It's interesting that they are called Christians here in the Americas. One quick comment in chapter 46, going back a few verses. We in our day are dealing with some very, very wicked world leaders, and we're seeing devastating consequences and terrible misery and suffering among the people over whom they have power. And uh, chapter 46, verse 9 is another message that is so uh, appropriate for our day. Chapter 46, verse 9. Verse 9, Yea, and we also see the great wickedness one very wicked man can cause to make place, to take place among the children of men. It's talking about Amalekiah, but that applies to our situations. Uh, uh, one of my favorite things in this set of chapters is Alma chapter 48, verses 17 to 18. If you would turn quickly with me to chapter 48, verses 17 to 18. You remember in Alma chapter 49, chapter 39 and 40 and 41 and 42, that Corianton had caused a lot of trouble. Corianton was Alma's son, and he was on a mission among the Zoramites with Alma and the other missionaries. And uh, we left Corianton with Alma, and Alma said, Go forth now, you repent, and go back to work. And in Alma chapter 48, verse 17 and 18, we have uh, Mormon making a comment about that includes Corianton. And we find out that Corianton has repented successfully and is a very righteous and wonderful man and missionary. Verse 17, Yea, verily, Mormon is talking. This is chapter 48, verse 17. Yea, verily, verily, I say unto you, if all men had been and were and ever would be like unto Moroni, that's Captain Moroni, Behold, the very powers of hell would have been shaken forever. Yea, the devil would never have power over the hearts of the children of men. Now watch this. Verse 18, Behold, he was a man like unto Ammon. That was one of the four sons of Mosiah. The son of Mosiah, yea, and even the other sons of Mosiah. Yea, and also Alma and his sons. That would include Corianton, for they were all men of God. In other words, Corianton made it. In chapter 51, we run into the king men. 
This is a chapter that is very fitting for our day, especially in the United States. We have all kinds of people who are trying to attack the constitutional constitution and undermine our democracy, our republic, whatever you want to call it. Uh, in the Book of Mormon, they're called the king men. They want to have a king. And uh, among other things, these king men in chapter 51 um, will not fight to support the country. And I call them draft dodgers. I don't know what the modern term for it is. Let's go to chapter 15, 51, excuse me. Let's go to chapter 51 and see what uh, Captain Moroni does with draft dodgers or people who are enjoying the freedoms and liberties that our great country has but will not fight to preserve them, which is uh, ultimate hypocrisy. And so in chapter 51, verses 13 to 19, uh, verse 13, And it came to pass that when the men who were called king men had heard that the Lamanites were coming down to battle against them, they were glad. We have people like that in our country right now. They were glad in their hearts, and they refused to take up arms. They would not fight to preserve the country. And verse 14, when Moroni saw this and also saw that the Lamanites were coming, here's another example of righteous indignation. The, to the, coming to the borders of the land, he was exceedingly wroth. He was very angry. And so what did he do? He did this according to the law. Verse 15, he sent out a petition and the, with the voice of the people and the governor, desiring that the governor of the land, that part of the land, should read it and give Moroni power to compel those descenders to defend their country or to put them to death. The final outcome of this was, verse 19, uh, several of them decided to go to war instead of losing their lives. But verse 19, it came to pass that there were 4,000 of those dissenters who ended up being executed because they would not fight for the country and the rest of them were cast into prison. They did not have time to deal with them other than that. So, once again, Captain Moroni, a man of God, an example of leaders in times of trouble and trial. Chapter 51 deals with the king men. Chapter 52, we have another wicked, wicked man, Amaron, who succeeds Malachiah as king of the Lamanites. And Moroni deals with him and them as needed. So I just leave my testimony. These chapters, called the war chapters, are very much needed in our day. And if you can read them and study them with some of the things in mind that we've discussed today, it will make them, along with the help of the Holy Ghost, you will see that they are very relevant and much needed. And our Thanks goes to Mormon, who, under inspiration, included these chapters in 
what was to become our Book of Mormon today. And I leave that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more Come Follow Me teaching materials, visit cedarfort.com. Use code CFPODCAST, that's C as in Cedar, F as in Fort, podcast, to save 15% off your entire order.